Hello, my friends. Today, Joel is talking to Greg, the CTO at JumpCloud, and they discuss why Greg places more importance on an employee's critical thinking and collaboration skills than their aptitude for a specific tool. How JumpCloud has scaled to more than 300 plus employees without ever making an outbound sales call and three different archetypes of entrepreneurial thinking. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Can you give me a little bit of your background and origin story? Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I, I would state this. I am almost 30 years. Uh, it'll be 30 year, years here in about a year, year and a half in product earning day. I don't like, I didn't even know. Let, let's go to the Wayback Machine. I, I went to Syracuse University um, and I studied foreign languages and foreign diplomacy. So I was a like total international relations nerd. I wanted to swivel my head and speak in different languages and, you know, be that person. Right. But I was also the the person on my floor that had, you know, one of the original, you know, Macintoshes and I didn't, you know, know how to program that well, but you could hop around these machines. And it was sort of like the mythical object that people in, in my dorm room would come and clutter around, or at least otherwise get time on the machine so they could write papers and things. So I've always been sort of, close to compute or computers, right? Get out of school. This is 1992, 93. And the the economy of the United States is a junk show. Um, We're sort of in a recession. Uh, No one can get jobs um, through a very long, you know, and sorted series of friends and relationships. Um, A friend of mine had a job opening at a company. And I sold my way in. I used some of that international relations, you know, diplomatic speaking and into the recruiting person at this company in New York City that was writing software. So being in New York City in the early 90s, this is pretty, you know, Silicon or not Silicon Valley, Silicon Alley, you know, like it's known now New York City, the hotbed in Brooklyn in particular for software engineering. That didn't exist there. I mean, there were, you know, Wall Street mainframe developers building trading systems, and there was that kind of software development. But I think I found the only company, or was introduced to the only company that was building software development tools, specifically model-driven software engineering tools. So predating UML. Um, so entity relationship diagramming, you would move boxes around on these primitive you know, Windows 3 or prior screens, OS 2. We had a, a, an installable version for OS 2. So again, dating myself. And not only did I enter the software world, I entered the most extreme corner of the software world, which was, you know, model-driven software engineering and design. It was big, big, big deal back then. Texas Instruments was the leader in CASE, CSSE, if you understand that acronym, Computer and Software Engineering. And it was the dawn of, you know, laying down boxes and the machinery that would generate the code. So I, my, I was able to, you know, talk my way into a job I was woefully underqualified for, which was technical pre-sales engineering, like quite literally. 
they threw me, I was 20 something, selling this software to what were mathematicians, gray bearded, beard stroking, cerebral thinking, abstract thinking, you know, so, you know, luminaries of the software engineering space. So who were really the operators of these tools. So I got smart really, really quickly. I read a lot. I asked a ton of questions. I pissed a lot of people off because I was insatiable. I, could, I just got it. I could visually understand what was going on. And that really started, my, my entry point into software engineering and technology was DDL, was, was data definition languages and DML, data manipulation languages, which is the structure of how you build objects in a relational database. Oracle, Sybase, SQL Server, DB2, like that was my entry point. And all the programmatic languages like Transact SQL or PL SQL in the world of Oracle that you really need to get smart. But what I learned was measure three times and cut once before you build data architectures because that is the foundation, at least in the day, you know, of how you build client-server computing. You don't want to change that stuff often because it could wreak havoc on your business processes. So that was it, Joel. Like it was, I, I was hooked on the mechanics, on the the way software was built. And you have to remember, like here, we, you and me now, like I can't even, like when I'm speaking with a 22, like freshly minted CS grad and they want, they want to do their first job. And I want to write Golang and build microservices and, you know, you know, have my pedigree in Amazon architecture and all that stuff. I hold my tongue, but it's, you know, when I rewind the clock, building software was such a delicate process because guess what? You can't just hotfix things, right? You are producing software in a life cycle that got printed on media, typically DVDs or floppy disks. And if you screw that up before it went to press, you're you're blowing potentially millions of dollars of distribution, which then gets you know sent to customers, and then they have blackout periods to install the software. And oh my God, way different look and feel. Uh, and I do not want to go back to those times. But <laughs> you asked me a simple question, which was, "What's the background?" Those that is it. Those were the hardened lessons being taught by extraordinarily rigid, if not mean you know, VPs of engineering, because they knew the delicacy of the delicate nature by which you had to go about identifying the problem, creating a solution for that problem, coding the solution to that problem, then test, 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 test. So that was like the the school of hard knocks was really being in those environments in the early days in the 90s. And that led me into product management and being the person that defined i was more you know in my earliest days i was more fascinated with the widget the thing you know it was a, my precious little baby like i could feel empowered not because i'm a control freak but because i love to communicate to anyone who will listen to me about this cool thing about this thing that i i'm proud of this thing that i know is going you're going to love too and it was easy for me to kind of do that and I loved being able to, more on the, than software engineering, I loved product management because in any given day, I could be interfacing with the CEO, a customer, 
my lead of engineering and engineering team, my QA teams, my sales teams. And you sort of are like a chameleon. You're, you, you have to switch your talk track within the blink of an eye to be able to express clarity and precision in any of those moments. And that's really what product management is in its purest form. At least high-functioning product managers are able to do that. And then I was more deeply hooked, you know? The thing became um, less of an attraction. So what, what I mean by that is I was more fascinated with the next level of abstraction, which is, how does the business that is responsible for sell, marketing and selling this particular thing, how did those things get built? So, uh, you know, I began like a whole run at creating startups and some worked and some completely failed, <laughs> quite honestly, but those were more lessons. And now it's about, you know, to wrap up, sorry for my long diatribe, but this is all background. And now in this current life, building jump cloud uh, the last seven years of my life and being, you know, yes, the, you know, sort of the person who launched the product with this team and sort of like helping envision it and set it and got back to those sort of youthful roots of like putting my hands into the ball of clay and impressing it. And I quickly shuttled that off to people who are going to take and run with it. And my love for people creation is sort of like my new future. Like, what is it like to engage a soul, like totally uninitiated and, you, you know, you need them to support the mission and you want them to be here um, and learning how to interview, learning how to mentor, learning how to understand their motivations. And if those things are discontiguous or not in line or, or um, that's when you, you get toxicity or, you just don't get high performing employees, you know? I love it. I want to hear more, right? <laughs> no, I, it, I like when I get to meet people that have had like similar experiences and I have found the same thing to be true. At first, it was like a caveman who made fire for the first time writing that code. And I was obsessed with the thing. And then what's the other tools? And then let's just, I was finding excuses to use tools and yeah. then I realized that, okay, this is fun, but I could just spend the rest of my life spinning in these circles, playing with the tools. Let's go build a skyscraper. And well, wouldn't you know, you need to have money to build a skyscraper. So now my new job is to take all of my smarts on figuring out how things worked, the tools worked and figure out, apply those, those learning and problem solving skills to figure out how this, these business models work and how revenue generation works and how customers work. And then you realize pretty quickly that, Yep. The prerequisites are revenue, great people. <laughs> Those are like, exactly. yep. And, and you, you got it. And everything beyond, beneath that are, are the scaffolding to create those realities, those outcomes that you actually need. You know, I find that to, to your point about tools and then my prior point about people development, one of my interrogation tactics as I'm speaking with candidates and I, I you know I'll speak with very senior people to you know folks that like some engineering managers or product you know leaders need sort of me to help tie break and like dig into these people one of the characteristics that I'll, I'll dig into sort of orthogonally um, sometimes they realize it sometimes they don't at the candidate is how willing are they to release the death grip on their former way of doing things. So to your point about tools, 
I really don't give a shit about tools. That's, you know, you, you have a motion of swinging a hammer, you know, and you probably know the current weight of it, but can I get you to adapt? Can I get you, you know, to swing a new type of hammer or use a saw, a bad analogy or crappy analogy, but um, it's about the fact that the, you know, the best performing companies don't repeat the playbooks of anyone else. And that's operationally how you should be thinking right down to the individual contributor. And before they even get in the front door, you should do them a service and adjust this by saying, you're, lots of things may change. Um, and most notably is your, your evolution. And because if you're going to stay ensconced in your comfort zone, like your nook-nook, on the way you use current tools or the way you do planning or the way you do, you know, your own leadership style, it probably won't work here at my company, right? So it's just tactics. You, it is the most critical thing to not waste any time. Startups and growth scale startups in particular, there is no time to waste. And a lot of that time wasted is ill productivity or people who just don't understand the mission and how they integrate with it, right? Because they can't let go of their past. Yes. I'm a little speechless because it's just all the instances of me experiencing that uh, just running through my mind right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Trust me. I didn't make, I, like, I had to learn by getting my teeth kicked in and I've had great mentors too, you know? So um, it just, it helps to just reset. I look at job if you have people listening who are looking for new jobs or, you know, you have to think of this as a holistic opportunity. You know, what does this mean for you and what are you prepared to do? You know, what are you willing to do for yourself? And some of that is, again, it's this great engineers in particular, I've seen this with, but it really, it's categorically, it's just a human trait. It's like, but my skills, my skills, like this, this is what my value. And if I, if I can't, if I break the chain or the, the, the sort of progression and I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, my, my value isn't quite realized. Right. And a lot of people get hung up on that, you know, and I don't know, I think growing a set of cojones and just trying new things, is quite liberating, you know? Yeah. And persistently just go after it and you'll get the universe will put you in the right direction pretty yeah. quickly. I, I definitely believe that. One thing as you were talking, um, people definitely write job descriptions tool-based often, Yeah. right? At least in the technology world, it's like a list of 75 tools. So when people are going to get into like, let's say I'm a high school graduate, right? And I want to go get a job. So I go on Indeed or, you know, hired or whatever the job site is, is a list of tools. Like I'm looking forward to it when I see a job description that starts talking about like their behaviors and patterns <laughs> and the things that we actually want that we screen for in the interview. And then we could also say, yeah, and we happen to write some code. It's this type of code in general, uh, but we're building these types of systems. And because the reality of it is, is when we have a project, we pick the, the best tool for the project. Uh, 100%. Yeah. We kind of take that philosophy, I think, from a, you know, of course, we have to put out there the, the stack and like kind of what we're working on, you know, and that does, uh, you know, at the, at the expense of sounding, you know, self-serving, we're working on some cool stuff. I mean, it's mega progressive, microservices driven, big, big global distributed platform 
platform on Amazon, all the bells and whistles. We write in Golang, you know, and which in and of itself is new to a lot of people. It's, I think it's more of a thing now, but we were early adopters of it about six years ago, almost seven years ago. So it's a little less intimidating. Um, but if you know C++ or Java, even, you know, it's approachable. But very quickly, we kind of dismiss that stuff because you, you have to get through the assignment, which really is about critical thinking and thoroughness. And we're, we're more interested in those traits and then putting you as part of our interview process in a panel interview to watch how you collaborate um, with the panel of your potential fellow engineers, right? That we'll, you're going to be working with. And what we're looking at is, yeah, quality means stuff, but thoroughness and your ability when we make them explain like their reasonings and they'll do whiteboard sessions. Like when we actually had in-person in interviews, they would be on the whiteboard walking us through their assignment. And it's how, like you, you will find some folks just dig their heels in and boom, instantly we know, uh-oh, you know, this isn't a person that is going to collaborate and want to listen to reason, right? Or if they're, if they have a strong assertion about how they want to, you know, they have a lot of passion behind the way they've implemented a pattern or something like that, right? Um, it's the it's it's the approach, it's the style that we we're interested in. That creates a much better culture rather than you know armies of just siloed clone soldiers cranking out code, right? It's not what we want. And any event, yeah, we tools are tools, but it's really about the collaboration that we find critical. Tell me a little bit about Jump Cloud and its mission. Yeah, uh, thank you for asking. So JumpCloud is, by category, we are a security software company. So there's billions of those, right? Um, we are in the identity and access management space. And very specifically, we have uh, created a sort of an abstract platform, an independent platform, and I'll explain what that means, for directory services. So if... If I pause there and I said to probably more of your seasoned uh, uh, audience members, if I said to you, do you know what LDAP and Active Directory are? And if you, if people are like, yep, those are directories. They're the source of authoritative identity and credentials in organizations. They typically, that use Microsoft solutions. That is what we have reimagined, rebuilt in a cloud-based, cloud-forward, independent, neutral way. So... Jump Cloud's directory as a service is for our customers, the source of credentials and multi-factor authentication. But the cool thing that we did was made it protocol driven. So regardless of the corporate resource, it could be a SaaS-based application or an on-premise server or a machine or a server like your MacBook or an employee's MacBook or a Windows 10 box or a Windows server up in Amazon or a a uh, Linux host up in Google Cloud. It doesn't matter to us what those resources are or where they are. We are protocol driven to connect our authentication mechanisms to those resources. So what this looks like when implemented is an employee at a company gets a single set of credentials, their jump cloud credentials, and it is responsible for their everything, for logging into anything that they need, 
So starting with their, their laptop, their MacBook, it could be a Linux laptop, a Windows 10 laptop, or a server or anything. Like it starts with where that employee is working. One of the, uh, you know, the sort of differentiating features that we built into this platform it, because there's lots of identity players, there's Okta and there's Duo and Hindu Multifactor and all these things. We've kind of merged them, those concepts into this platform. But the secret sauce is the mechanism by which we treat devices. So we're sort of the party that manages the device as well and all the security controls that go on it. So we control the authentication into the endpoint. So your session, your user account, and then getting you into your MacBook, like I'm speaking to you from my MacBook. It's a Jump Cloud managed MacBook. So I logged into it. After that, I don't really have to enter my password in anything anymore because Jump Cloud knows who you are on that protected host. So firing at the browser, we use Fido's WebAuthn and getting you into you know, the browser session. Then we know what application you're going out to. We use the SAML protocol to connect to web-based applications. Um, or, ooh, I need now to go and log into my Jira account. That uses an LDAP-based authentication. So we support that, right? So it doesn't matter. We've, we've abstracted all of the complexity of these protocols into a, a much more approachable Again, what we call a directory as a service. And that's what we've been up to over the last seven years. Business, just to give your folks a, a sense, is you know, we're, we're uh, a growth stage company. We've, uh, the team and I have raised about $200 million from very notable investors. Principally, we just closed a Series E this year, which we weren't even in the market to raise money. But the, the company's kind of progression got to a point where people wanted in on it. Uh, and those included General Atlantic. BlackRock and HIG, which are not the typical monster venture firms who would invest in a growth stage company. They're typically late, very late stage pre-IPO types of companies. And um, so to date, 200 million investment generating substantial revenue. We have 100,000 active organizations around the globe using the platform. And, you know, we're now a company pre-COVID. This is an interesting statistic statistic, we're about 175 people, let's say, uh, right when the pandemic started to hit. We had just raised money, we were hiring them. Boom! Like all, well, all those employees were in literally in Colorado, in two offices that we had, these beautiful offices we just built and opened. Then boom, the pandemic hits. The business actually accelerated because, funny enough, we built software to help people work remotely. <laughs> And we weren't planning on pandemics, but it helped a lot of companies out. So the business escalated. Uh, so we went from Colorado uh, and 175 employees to now 21 states of our great union. And we went talent hunting. And now we're 300, just about 350 employees. So we've almost doubled in size and now in 21 states. So this company now has really embraced the remote model. Um, we've refigured out how to manage remotely, um, how to learn and, and integrate remotely. It's been not easy, but we've cracked many codes on trying to make that a success. So now we're just, we don't care where you live. Um, you, you know, we're going to ensure you're a great person, super smart, super hungry, and pick and choose where you want to live. Uh, and you'll have great effective role here at Jim Club. Are you currently hiring? Uh, yes, please. 
send me your peoples. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's, is it just like if I Google jump cloud hiring, I probably find the page jumpcloud.com uh, for sports slash careers and careers. mega. Yeah. There's principally one very interesting part about this company. This is pretty different than most. If you look at JumpCloud, we sell the businesses. We are mission-critical security software. So people automatically think, oh, God, enterprise, you know, enterprise sales. We uh, we focus on the small to medium enterprise. So let's say 50 employees to the low thousands. Like, and we are outright owning that market. Um, but the way we got there is by never in seven years making an outbound sales call. 100% of this revenue has been generated by inbound programmatic, like digital marketing. So uh, of 350 employees, under 20 are in our sales operation. So that shows the dynamic. The majority of this company are product and engineering. And that's uh, it, it's created a way different look at enterprise, quote, enterprise tooling. Uh, just the way we go to market is way different and it's operationally crazy efficient to run a company like this. Yeah. I remember, so we raised some money when we started and we were talking with them and about our sales and they were like surprised that we just send emails out and have zoom calls and close business. Yeah. They're like, you guys, you guys aren't with your customers in person. We're like, no, we just do zoom calls and we've doubled revenue every year for the past four years. I wanted to get your advice on this. Um, so, because you've done multiple startups, figuring out the value prop is like the hardest part. So for you guys, like you're, what I've learned more recently uh, as my company has grown and I've started to meet with other executives and talk to their sales leaders and things like that, the, the conversations that you have with your customer, you're having that same conversation like with hundreds of people. They're pretty similar, right? And they're, they're all interested in this, this specific value prop. And so I wanted to know uh, what's what's like the value prop for Jump Cloud. Like, why I know what you do. You're this cloud directory platform for authentication. But like, what's the reason in the sales call that they're buying? It's one directory to rule them all. <laughs> so ease ease of use. Yeah. Well, no. You know what I would say. I mean, the pro that, that is that term while real, it should be easy to use. That should be table stakes. If you're not creating a wonderful experience through like highly progressive user experience and growth engineering tactics, which we deploy, you're doing it wrong. Like if you're a SaaS company and you don't, and you need training and all this crazy, you know, implementation paid for services and I, it just, I, you know, facepalm, like that, that ship has sailed. You better have a growth engineering team and a user experience team that is just delighting the hell out of your customers. So, but uh, I want to, I want to do two things. I will answer your question about value with Jump Club, but then I want to go and address something that is uh, often overlooked um, for young entrepreneurs. Let me answer your question first. The real value of Jump Cloud beyond, you know, the usability and all that stuff, I, I would say is something we call con vendor consolidation. So there's, I swear to God, like, well, there's 5 billion tools that are out there that all need to be painstakingly integrated together to create a, an effective chained identity strategy. So for example, you need a source of identity. Some people use Google, some people use Active Directory, some people use whatever, right? It's where the identity and the, the passwords are basically 
you know, st uh, stored and managed. Then you need a single sign-on tool that sort of looks at that identity and will know what to do with it when it logs into Salesforce or whatever. Then you need a device management tool like Jam for, you know, the same for Windows like Sophos or any of these stuff. You got so you got to pick and choose what tools for you're going to manage your devices with. Then you need privileged access management tools to securely get people into servers. Then you need a multi-factor tool. It, and Joel, I could keep going and going and going and going. There's sort of like the history is just building blocks. But what we did is like blew up all the building blocks and put them into one platform. Multi-factor, SSO, MDM, you know, Wi-Fi radius services, like all, you know, um, the, the core directory itself, obviously. And the, so the value is consolidation. Why the hell are you as a overworked system administrator, you know, spending your time on vendor management? You know, oh, I got my call with Okta today. Oh, in an hour, I have my call with Duo. And then, oh man, on Thursday, I've got a call like this MDM vendor and try and get that deal done, right? So consolidation. The, the point I wanted to make though is like there's some, you know, common, they're not cliches. They're, they're, they're not at all. They're, I, cause I don't want to trivialize it like that. They're foundational things. Like you often hear, you should strive for product market fit, right? You hear tons of venture capitalists and absolutely no duh. You, that's the spark. It's, it's how the flywheel starts to turn and your, your MRR is you learn how to do it systematically and repeatedly but the problem is you can do all that and you don't know what will hit you because why is my business not accelerating? Why is it I'm generating revenue? I may or may not be profitable or throwing off the type of cash that I want. And I think often, and this is the hardest thing to do, is the entrepreneur is, is this is like my filtration process, is sort of challenged they're either in one of these three boxes they're they're super myopic on here's my new company my brand new shiny company and i'm the founder and i'm going to put all the, i'm going to raise some money and what i am effectively building is a feature of some other big you know goliath and they feel with their heart that they're going to dent the universe you know by creating this this solution which generally is a feature of something else right and maybe they have aspirations to get acquired, which is in and of itself the wrong way to start thinking about things. But I digress. So you have class one of entrepreneur, like they're, they're building a feature and they're dead before they know it. Then you get to the other wider thinker and they're thinking, you know, product and or platform, which is cool, right? It's a broader think. There's value behind it. Um, they may be thinking consolidation like I am, like these value propositions. And it, it in and of itself can stand the test of time as a viable, not only a product or a platform, but it will generate a viable business behind it, viable. Then there's the third class, which is those that are, they're not unicorns, but I think they're, these are the types of thinkers who actually aren't scared and won't blink when they want to change a category. So you look, there's plenty of categories, you know, in, in, um, you know, in any market, right. And many of these categories are historic. Like they've had a specific pattern for time at infinitum on 
the vendors that serve that category and the way the analysts think about that category. And it's sort of a nice little cute family and God forbid anyone disrupts it. (laughs) Those are the eternal businesses. Like there's a reason why Microsoft or Oracle or um, now the, you know, the the sort of the new players of the world, Amazon, I would say in particular, um, have created like platform as a service or I, I as infrastructure as a service, that's a category. I mean, look at what's going on. Amazon is at the top of the hill with very little chance in the next decade for Azure from Microsoft or Google through its cloud to even make a dent. So much so that Google's already conceded. Thomas Kirian, I think, and he, I'd probably get punched in the face by him if he heard me say this, but <laughs> I even think their tactics are to concede and Anthos and other things that provide portability of containers and things between platforms. It's absolutely a good thing to do. I, I don't get me wrong. It gives independence for, hey, I want to switch this container from Azure into Amazon or whatever, or Google into Azure. But my God, like those are the, like, th- those are probably the biggest examples of folks that wanted to change category, but, you know, they went big, right? But I, I don't know. What am I saying here? You, you, the entrepreneur has to have wide open eyes. What do they really want to do? You know, do you want to create an evergreen business, you know, a long-standing business? Or is, is the operating thesis to build it just to a point where it gets acquired and then you screw all your employees, right? So I will, again, I'll cease to talk anymore, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about my journey. Yeah, so yeah. I think I went through all of those stages. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> as you described them. So at first, you know, I was bright eyed and bushy tailed and wanted to change the world with like a feature. Then I got into it and I realized really quick, like, okay, I was, nope, I do not know what I'm doing, uh, but you have to figure it out. You know, you take money from other people, you got to get them their money back. You have to figure out how to make it successful. So you just kind of like trial by fire situation. And I'm, I think it's like baked into my, my DNA and my childhood. I'm just the type of person that doesn't give up. Yeah. You know, like I just, yeah. I mean, I, I remember my earliest memory of this is my older brother, like pushing me down when his friends were over. And at first they were like, don't get back up. And then I'd get back up and they'd push me down. And then I was like, you know, mortal combat, like finish him. I would still get back up. And then they started to like laugh and respect me. <laughs> and I, that's like one of my earliest memories of persistence because then they just thought I was cool. And all of a sudden I, they never like messed with me again. Cause they were just like, there's no point in pushing him down. He's just going to get back up. And so uh, that's kind of how I approach a lot of things. But going through these, these motions of uh, learning about, you know, am I developing a product or a feature and then the platform and these different types of thinking, that really resonated with me how you explain that because I think um, you can mature through those stages. They're not just buckets where people become fixed. Obviously, you yeah. can identify where someone's at in their journey by having a conversation with them but they can definitely grow through these different stages. Like for me, I, I know what you guys are doing is super exciting because you're completely um, taking over this, disrupting this world of like all these different products. And now people can just come to jump cloud and then have more time and things will just work more seamlessly for the users. And that's great. You guys are feeling it right now because you just doubled your employees, right? And all the credentialing and device endpoint management and deployment of, of uh, endpoints or computers, whatever we want to call them. Uh, it's got to be a lot easier when you have that authentication set up and you have your own product and you have to use it, right? 
That's exactly right. I think, um, thank you. That was, I like the way you articulated that. I have to put a note in my head. Joel slash the product marketer whisperer. Um, that was awesome. I, I, I kind of like in the spirit of like building these like long-standing businesses, uh, if I, you know, if, if your audience would hear me, like what we sort of felt from the beginning of Jump Cloud, and we didn't quite say these words back then, but we, you know, we knew we wanted to build something substantial. Um, and I'll, t- I'll give you a, a sense of what we were thinking. The, let me parenthetically state what we wanted to build, we have built. And we've never deviated from that original thesis of like what the directory of the service was supposed to do and its feature set and seven years, you know, these other companies that I helped build, all even the ones that were successful, like you pivot left, right, you know, you kind of, you, you, you kind of learn as you go. Jump Cloud was a lot different. Um, it was, nope, this is it. Like, this is what we want to build. And let's like, we got to pour gas on this and go. But so what that looked like was when uh, Raj Bhargava, he's the CEO uh, and the guy who brought me in to work with him to craft this company and this this product, along with another third guy, Larry Middle, whom I've known in the Boulder, Denver sort of startup community for a long time. We wanted to build this thing. This is what I said to these guys. I'm like, if we do our job right, when a company, like an entrepreneur wants to go and build a company, uh, forget their idea for a second. They, they, they need some basic principles to build the company. And it used to be like, where's our office going to be? That's gone. Forget that, right? Because you can live anywhere you want to now. So for me, it's like, it's the quote tools, like to use your term before, Joel, it's like, all right, we're going we're gonna to get bulk rate discount on MacBooks. So our employees are going to use Macs. And if we want Linux, you know, for our devs, that's fine. We're going to compute in Amazon. You know, I'm going to build a platform. I, by the way, I've only worked on SaaS companies for the last 15 years. So I'm hyper intimate with Amazon. I, you know, you'd be hard pressed to find me deviate from, from that platform. But anyways, it's, so I'm going to, I'm going to choose, I'm going to choose uh, Amazon. How are we going to collaborate? I'm going to, Call it easy, drop a credit card in, we're going to use Google Workspace. So, or, you know, G Suite, Gmail, I'm going to use all that. And what are what are my set of SaaS applications we're going to need, right? So I'm going to need Jira, I'm going to need Confluence, I'm going to need GitHub, I'm going to need, you know, pro- other project management tools, blah, 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 right? And Jump Cloud. Yeah, oh yeah, we need that too, because everything is going to sit on top of that, Right. And if we ever want to change Amazon to Azure later, like I, you know, I go into the desert and take some peyote and suddenly realize that I'm going to build my everything on .NET and Azure, then yes, uh, like I can make that change because Jump Cloud, Jump Cloud's got my identity. It's got the access control. As of late, I, I, you know, you know, that thesis now has become, well, Jump Cloud desires to be the platform for the platforms. So if you're building a company, we just want to be like that. You don't even think about it, right? It's like, you know, comp, you know, engineers now, it's like they don't think about using Amazon, right? It's like, oh yeah, I can get in. I got, I got EC2 set up. I've got, you know, a, a Red Hat Linux server set up. I'm already, boom, building, I'm building Lambda jobs and all this kind of crap. They just, 
it's like reflexive. So we want to become that sort of reflexive just decision that is made when you're building a company. Does that make sense? Yes, 100%. Uh, so two thoughts come to my mind. First, um, have you ever done any integrations with like a Gusto? Because that's the first place I put my employees' information. Funny you say that. We know the Gusto people real well. And the answer is yes, we haven't done it with Gusto yet, but we've done it with Bamboo, with Workday and others. Perfect. Uh, Gusto definitely is on our roadmap. Perfect. Yeah. I've, so you've, you already have a relationship with them and everything? I've been to their offices a number oh, of Oh, great. Yeah. yeah, I got to interview their founder, I think like last year. He was a really cool guy, great culture, great origin story. We agree, uh, we agree. Yes. Uh, what's the call to action? How can people experience Jump Cloud? How do they learn more? Thank you for even giving me the app to say that. So for your audience who are obviously technical, modern CTO, here's the cool part. Um, the, we, the product is free. All of what we talked about is free. The only thing we cap is the number of employees. So the thesis was we want every small company on earth to start their life with very solid enterprise grade identity services. So that's why we gave it away. That's why we have over 100,000 active organizations banging away with JumpCloud every day. You can go to jumpcloud.com and you just sign up uh, literally. And then you're in the product and starting to operate. Um, drop agents on servers, you know, start to like learn how to do SSH key transactions with us, um, user accounts, you know, all kinds of cool, nerdy, low-level things. Plus, the whole product is RESTful. It's, we build to the API and then UIs and everything, are, uh, you know, are built on a, above that. So it's all microservices driven. So if you have any aspirations for uh, you know, integrating our platform to trigger workflow for identity services, it's all API driven too. So um, we love the feedback from especially this audience, Joel. Brilliant. And what's, is it just jumpcloud.com? Jumpcloud.com. That's it. Perfect. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you would like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.